Several years ago, I was asked by a family member if I would visit one of their children who was incarcerated in the Warren County Jail. I had done so several times, and each time during that period of time, we would go to the chapel. The jailer would bring the inmate into the chapel with you, and you would sit and have a discussion for about 30 or 45 minutes. Then the jailer would come and escort the inmate back to their cell. On this occasion, as I went into the chapel and met with this young man, we discussed Bible things and Bible um, lessons, talked about the time that he would be released and about his freedom, about his coming back to church and being faithful once again. And after about 30 minutes, I called up front as I was instructed to do and said, I'm ready to go. You can come get me and take the young man back to his cell. I waited about five or ten minutes. No one came to the door. Waited about another five more minutes, then decided I better call. Somebody might have forgotten me. They said, we'll be back there just a few minutes, Mr. Lawrence, and get you. And I waited about another 15 more minutes. And uh, I thought, maybe someone else has forgotten again, so I called again. Oh, we're sorry, Mr. Lawrence. Um, We'll be back there in just a minute or two and get you. About 15 more minutes later, I'm beginning to wonder, do they want to get me or not? (laughs) And uh, needless to say, after about an hour and a half, I called back the last time and I said, I know the sheriff and I'm going to have a discussion with him if somebody doesn't come get me right now. (laughs) When I walked out that door, there was a sense of relief, freedom, something you and I take for granted, something you and I don't often think about because we enjoy it. It's a privilege that we enjoy. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, freedom was the watchword. Freedom was what he wanted them to appreciate. And yet, bondage was being held out before them. Now, by way of introduction, I don't know if many of you have ever heard the word or not, but if you haven't, I'm going to explain it to you. The word recidivism. What this is, is it describes a problem that exists in our society. A young man, young woman are arrested and they're incarcerated for their crime. Hopefully, while they're incarcerated, they learn some of the important lessons of life and they never go back to prison again. But you know, and I know, that many do return. They return to a a life of criminal behavior. Why is it that that happens? One reason is because they have become slaves to their sin. In fact, it occurs over and over and over again so much that you say they have become a career criminal. 
In Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23, Jeremiah says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may also you do good who are accustomed to do evil. You have made a practice of doing evil and so now it's become ingrained into your character so much that it's like the color of your skin or like the spots on an animal. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, Peter writes, Having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. They have practiced sin so long, they have trained themselves to participate in it. And some people actually become comfortable in their bondage. That is, it becomes such a custom to them that they want that. Several times over the past several years, there have been people come to the building here and say, I've just been released from prison. Some of them will say something to this effect, I don't really know how to adjust to life on the outside. In Luke 5, verses 37 through 39, Jesus uses a parable. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now listen carefully. And no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires a new, for he says the old is better. Whatever he's become accustomed to, that's what he appreciates. That's what he wants. Some people are accustomed to the bondage of sin. They've become accustomed to serving that life. And what is all the more bad is when someone talks you into that. Here you are, you're out here, you're free, you're capable of doing something good, and someone talks you into doing evil and into the bondage which it brings. We're going to study Galatians chapter 5 for the next few minutes. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at freedom in Christ from verse 1. We're going to look at fallen from grace in verses 2 through 6. And then we're going to look at the fleshly desires. Let's begin, first of all, look with me at verse 1 and what Paul writes. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now Paul is going to build upon the idea of freedom from chapter 4. You remember when we ended our last lesson last week and we were studying about the children of the free woman and their being free people? Stand fast here is an imperative. That means it's a command. And in the form it means it's a command you keep on obeying. It's not something that you, you stand strong when something comes at you. This is, you keep on standing strong. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, stand fast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 or 16, 13, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, Therefore, brethren, hold, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. What is he asking them to do? And no, what is he commanding them to do? Stand strong. When freedom is at stake, you don't give up easily. You don't give in to the temptations. You stand strong. He speaks of the liberty or the freedom in Christ. What is this freedom? That he offers. What does it mean to say that we are at liberty? We've addressed this some in other venues and other times. John 8 verse 32. Jesus addressed it plainly when he said, And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now here's the answer. Jesus answered them most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the bondage of having to carry around those burdens, if you will. Jesus is able to, as we sing in the song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary, He's able to take that burden of sin off of our back and make that debt not there anymore. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, which is a citation of Isaiah 61, verse 1, What about the mission of Christ? What was he seeking to do? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Part of the good news is the fact that you are now free from sin if you're obedient to that wonderful gospel. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he explained when and how all of this takes place. That book is so important because it reveals God's plan for man to be righteous. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death we shall certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with now listen carefully that we should no longer be slaves of sin For he who has died has been freed from sin. He's describing what takes place. Dying to sin takes place in repentance. 
Baptism is when you bury that old man and then he's raised to walk in a new life. That's the reason why Acts 22 verse 16, Ananias looks at Paul and says to him, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This freedom was purchased by the blood of Christ. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. But you see, here's a problem. Some people are falling from grace. Let's look at verses 2 through 6 together. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Now, if you're reading carefully, you recognize he's addressing the Gentiles and not the Jews. And you say, well, let me get my head wrapped around this. He's talking about circumcision. He's talking about the Old Testament law of Moses. And he's talking to Gentiles. Yes. You see, these people here are trying to be persuaded to become circumcised. That's the words he used. The Jews had already been circumcised as men. They were seeking justification by the law of Moses. He said if a man does that, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You know what that means, don't you? The animal sacrifices. You go back to chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You say you want the law of Moses. Okay, let's look and see what all it says. Someone says, well, I want to take circumcision. Okay, you do that. Now you have to keep the animal sacrifices and everything that goes along. No, no, no. I want the, the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ that forgives me of my sins. The truth is... It's either or, it's not both and. What was attempting to be done then is what many religious groups think today is, I can keep the Old Testament and I can keep the New Testament one and the same time. And someone says, well, why don't we keep the Ten Commandments today? Because they're a part of the Old Testament law. Someone says, well, we don't violate the Ten Commandments. We, vi- we don't violate the principles in them because they're found in the New Testament. And someone says, are you saying the Old Testament law was bad, that it wasn't real? No, no, I didn't say that at all. Romans 15 verse 4 says that what was written aforetime was written for our learning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says it was written for our admonition. But you mean I can't be under both of them at the same time? No. Paul will use an illustration in Romans chapter 7 in verses 2 through 4. You recognize it. He says, 
For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. He said, just like a woman can't have two living husbands at the same time, you can't be living under two laws at the same time. And yet, in Acts 15, men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it was necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That's what they were saying about Gentiles. But see, the truth is Jesus brought real, full, complete grace. You say, what do you mean by full and complete? You see, under the Old Testament law, there was grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But real, full grace came when Jesus Christ brought his blood. John 1 and verse 14, And said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in Romans 5, 1 and 2, he talks about, verse 2 particularly, Therefore we have access by faith into this grace. Faith in Jesus Christ brings us this grace. This grace has appeared to all men, according to Titus 2, verse 11. This grace that Jesus brought not only provides for us the forgiveness of sins, but it provides instruction, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Though some try to deny it, you can fall from grace. The gospel that was brought is good news. It provides freedom from sin. But what happens if I decide I want to go back and be in bondage again? I want to get back into that prison, back into that jail. Hebrews 12, verse 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. You see, what can happen, bitterness can actually spring up in people and they can start turning their back on the grace of God. Chapter 10, verses 38 and 39 Now, my just shall live by faith, but if anyone 
draws back. My soul has no pleasure in him. We're not those who draw back into perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. But now let me put this back in its context in Galatians chapter 5. Let's look now at verses 5 through 12 together as he points out somebody is teaching this mess. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his own judgment, whoever he is. And if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? The offense of the cross has ceased. I wish those who would trouble you would even cut themselves off. There's so many figures that are in this little section. I'm not going to try to deal with everything, but let me for just a moment focus your minds. You ran well. It's as if you're starting out and you're, you're on this race and you're doing so well and it's as somebody's hindered you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You take a little bit of influence of somebody and it can destroy you and everybody around you. You say, surely not if you're strong. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, how that when... Some came from James, and Peter came to Antioch. Paul said, I will stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but after they came, he withdrew and would not eat with them. He goes on to say that even Barnabas was carried away with his hypocrisy. You mean Peter can be influenced? You mean Barnabas can be influenced? Absolutely, you can too. You ran well, who hindered you? He who troubles you. You've got to see in this that there are people out there who are antagonists. Galatians 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Somebody out there is tricking you. Satan and his servants entice and destroy. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said in chapter 2 verse 11 that Satan should take, less Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. The truth is, sometimes we are ignorant of his devices. Paul was writing about a specific instance here, but sometimes we're not careful of realizing Satan is out here trying to allure us and to tempt us. Chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, but I fear lest somehow, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You tolerate when someone tells you something different than what you know the gospel has revealed. He goes on to explain in chapter 11, verse 13, for such a false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. They're trying their best to make you believe that they're on your side doing the right thing. 
And let's talk about the fleshly desires. Let's look at verses 13 through 15 together. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in this one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Freedom is not the freedom to sin. I want you to imagine you're incarcerated. You've committed a crime. And the governor or the president or whoever has the legal authority to look at you and say, I am pardoning you of your crime. I'm commuting your sentence. You're free to go. That doesn't mean you're free to go out and rob another bank. Doesn't mean that you're free to go out and take another life. You see, the truth is there are people who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Jude verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who were long ago marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. They take what God has offered and abuse it. Listen to Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 2 Peter 2, 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're telling everybody, we're offering you freedom while they got a shackle around their leg. And they're wanting to put one around yours. Freedom sees grace as an opportunity. Not as an opportunity to sin, but an opportunity to serve. I've been let free now. Thankfulness says, rather than going back to that putrid way of life, I'm now going to do something good with my life. Instead of stealing from others, I'm going to labor with my hands what is good that I may help him who is in need. I'm going to change my life. Folks, that's really what the good news is all about. Jesus Christ came and brought freedom by His blood to free us from the bondage of sin to live better lives. Too often freedom is seen as an occasion to do as one pleases and that's not what the freedom of our country was about and that's not what the freedom of the Bible is all about. Such an attitude leaves you vulnerable to those who appeal to the lust of the flesh and they'll catch you every time. If you'll say, okay, I can do what I want to do. There are going to be people there who are going to say, okay, this is what you ought to want to do. The good news is you don't have to be lost. You don't have to be in bondage. I wish I had the words to tell you how important the good news really is to you, to me.
and the privilege that you and I enjoy that at any time, day or night, we can come in penitence to Jesus Christ saying, I believe that you are the Son of God. I'm willing to confess that before others. I'm willing to change my life and now I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. If you will, open your songbooks to number 677. We're going to sing, There's a Stranger at the Door. Will you let him into your life? If you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?